Our gospel reading this morning is from John 15, verses 1 through 17. The context for uh, what Jesus is saying to his disciples here is this is in the upper room the night before Jesus goes to the cross. So it is, um, it is that close to Jesus' crucifixion. Uh, the disciples don't yet know this. Jesus does know this. He's told them several times. They just haven't wanted to hear it. Um, he has already washed their feet. They have shared a meal, and now he is uh, talking with them about going away and then for them uh, what they need to be doing once he goes. <clears throat> Excuse me. Before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for this day that you have made, and God, we do thank you for your word that you have given to us. Lord, we ask this morning that you would help us to hear your word as those who have ears to hear. Lord, we pray that you would give us minds that are ready to think about uh, what you are saying, and that you would give us hearts that are ready to receive your word into our lives that we would be changed evermore today into the people that you have created us to be in relationship with you through Jesus. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. John 15, verses 1 through 17, Jesus says to his disciples, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me... You can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends, if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business, instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. We would probably do well to read that every week. Our New Testament reading 
as I mentioned earlier, comes from the book of Revelation, right there at the very end of the Bible. This is Revelation chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. And no, we are not going to have the time to explain all of this right now. Um, this is a very different type of, uh, type of book, really. Uh, the way that it is written, the, um, the use of symbols, etc., and it is, um, it, yeah, we're, we're getting to hear about somebody else's vision that they're having. And so uh, listen kind of with that in mind. Questions about it? Talk to me about it anytime, but especially during our Bible study when we're discussing Revelation, that may help out quite a bit. But here we go. This is Revelation chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. John writes, After this I looked... And there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby, a rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were twenty-four other thrones, and seated on them were twenty-four elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center, around the throne, were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion, the second was like an ox, the third had a face like a man, the fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, this morning I do have a bit of a pop quiz for you, and sorry, but that's just what I do sometimes. You get a pop quiz this morning, and that is just one simple question. Um, why are you here? Why, <laughs> why are you here? And that is a question that can be taken several ways, so let me explain what I mean. I mean all of them. I mean, why, <laughs> why are you here this morning as a part of this worship service, whether you're here in the sanctuary or joining us online? Why are you a part of this service? Why are you here? Going beyond that, why are you where you are in the world? Why do you live where you live? But bigger than that even, why do you live at all? Why are you here? 
Why are you alive in the first place? Now, it seems like, as I say, it's a very simple question, right? Why are you here? And it seems like we all ought to have a pretty quick answer to that just on the tip of our tongue, doesn't it? And yet, when you start thinking about it, how many of you are sitting here going, hmm, well, I kind of feel like I maybe have some ideas. On the other hand, I'm not really sure after all. You don't have to raise your hand if that's you. But I think that is uh, more common than those who know exactly why we are here and what it is that we are supposed to be doing. We have been looking at uh, Genesis over the last several uh, months, actually, starting in the very beginning and saying, you know, one of the reasons why we're starting there is because how do we know who we are, why we're here, what we're about, what we're supposed to be about, unless we go back to the beginning and catch the whole story. And so we've talked about it in terms like uh, watching a movie and you come in, you know, the middle of the way through and you have all the, I don't understand why he's doing what he's doing. And a lot of us are just sort of born that way. We kind of come in and I don't know, this is kind of how things are, so I guess we'll just get with the program. And we don't really understand what the program is unless we go back to the beginning. This is why we have been in Genesis, and we are uh, continuing in that this morning. And uh, the last several weeks, we have been looking at a guy that pretty much everybody knows his name. This is Noah, and we've been looking at Noah and the ark and the flood and all of that. And this week, uh, we talked about last three weeks, we looked at Noah uh, before the flood and then during the flood and then after the flood, and then this is actually kind of after, after the flood. And so where we left off last time, the, uh, the waters had come down and the ark had been open and everybody came out and Noah um, made a sacrifice to God. And we heard last week we actually read what God was saying in his own heart. He hadn't said anything to Noah yet. He just said, this is, this is what I'm going to do. And I said last week that coming up this week, we'd hear Noah, or we'd hear God actually speak to Noah. And that's actually all we hear this week. It's God speaking to Noah four times. And this is what we will see in Genesis 9, verses 1 through 17. And we will look at... Uh, what God says to Noah, what that means for Noah, what it means about who God is and how he works, and then we'll bring that forward into what it means for us today, um, but hold off on that till later. This is Genesis chapter 9, verses 1 through 17. Then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. The fear and dread of you will fall on all the beasts of the earth and on all the birds in the sky, on every creature that moves along the ground, and on all the fish in the sea. They are given into your hands. Everything that lives and moves will, about will be food for you. Just as I gave you the green plants, I now give you everything. But you must not eat meat that has its lifeblood still in it. And for your lifeblood, I will surely demand an accounting. 
I will demand an accounting from every animal and from each human being too. I will demand an accounting for the life of another human being. Whoever sheds human blood by humans shall their blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made mankind. As for you, be fruitful and increase in number. Multiply on the earth and increase upon it. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals, all those who came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth. I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant I am making between me and you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. So God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant I have established between me and all life on the earth. So there it is. Once again, this is a story that seems like we are familiar with it until we start looking closely at it and we're surprised by the details of a story we thought we knew. This is, as I mentioned, God speaking to Noah after the flood and saying, okay, here's, here's what's up. And as we hear it, uh, there are four different things he says, uh, each one kind of marked out by, then God said. And so we start out, then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, etc., and in the first section, the first thing that God says to them, we see exactly what we've been talking about the last couple of weeks of how this is uh, going all the way back to Genesis 1, and we're just replaying it. And so we saw at the very beginning, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters, Right? And so we have this dark, watery chaos, but God is over it all. And then from this, we see him forming what was unformed, and we see him filling what was empty. And so by the end of the chapter, it looks very different than it does at the beginning of the chapter. And then we get to uh, Genesis chapter 6, and God says he's going to bring this flood. And as the flood comes, we see it just going back. It's almost like Genesis 1 in reverse, like somebody hit rewind on the VCR. Anybody here remember VCR? And so as it plays backwards, uh, you just see everything, you know, the, instead of the land appearing from the waters, we see the waters coming up and covering the land again. That kind of thing. Instead of life springing up, we see death coming to the land. And so it's just the undoing. It's the going back to the very, very beginning. And then what we saw last week is the replay of Genesis 1 again, as it just sort of comes forward in the seven days of creation kind of thing, as the dry ground appears again and the animals and the people start filling the land. And, and so we see the things that are being uh, formed and filled, etc. And it's the same kind of thing. And in fact, even 
in verses 1 through 7, we see a lot of the same language used word for word (laughs) from Genesis 1. And at least some of those same ideas being uh, heavily (laughs) used here. But for example, you'll notice in verse 7, God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. And then in verse 7, that was in verse 1, in verse 7 it says, As for you, be fruitful and increase in number, multiply on the earth and increase upon it. Those sound familiar, right? We I mean, just said it twice. <laughs> Genesis 1, verse 28, right after God has created people, first thing he says to them, God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth. So when God first creates mankind, chapter 1, verse 28, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth. Genesis 9, 1, then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. Does it sound familiar? We're replaying Genesis 1. This is new creation. This is kind of that uh, hitting the reset button, starting over from the beginning again. There's uh, more than this. We see uh, that it is a a reset, it's, it's a replay, but it's different this time. It's not exactly the same. And so before, in verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 29, then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with the seed in it, they will be yours for food, etc. I give every green plant for food. We get here, and he takes that same idea, but now it is verse 3, everything that lives and moves about you, about will be food for you. Just as I gave you the green plants, I now give you everything. So it's a replay. It's still following the same pattern. Still, here are the things that you need to know as uh, you go about on the earth. But there's been a change. And, uh, And there has been a change in the relationship between people and animals. Do you notice that? It's actually really bizarre when you start looking at the relationship between uh, people and animals in Genesis 1 and what we see by the time we get to Genesis 9. That uh, when, and in Genesis 1 and 2, when you have all the animals coming before Adam and he's giving them all their names, and we don't see him trying to kill them and we don't see them trying to kill him. We see Noah in chapter 6, or in 7, like on the ark with all the animals. We don't see him trying to kill them or them trying to kill him. In fact, the first time we see uh, anybody killing anything is really Cain and Abel killing another human, and we see that quite a bit. It's only when we get uh, Noah out of the ark that we see him killing an animal for a sacrifice presumably. But as there is uh, the replay, but with a difference, as we mentioned when it says 
Uh, God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. That part's a direct quote. But what follows that is the relationship with animals, which is very different. In chapter 1, it says, be fruitful, increase uh, in number, fill the earth, and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. In chapter 9, be fruitful, increase in number on the earth. The fear and dread of you will fall on all the beasts of the earth and on all the birds in the sky, on every creature that moves along the ground and all the fish of the sea. They are given into your hands. Everything that lives and moves about will be food for you. Do you see the difference in this relationship? Now, God is saying, this is how it's going to be now. And I am giving this to you for, uh, for this purpose. But the relationship has certainly changed. And as he goes forward and talks about taking life, specifically taking human life, and saying that uh, for your... Says, but you must not eat meat that has its lifeblood in it, and for your lifeblood I will surely demand an accounting. And I will demand an accounting from every animal and from each human being too. I will demand an accounting for the life of another human being. In other words, if just like Cain and Abel, when you have Cain killing Abel, God doesn't go, well, Sure wish Abel were still around, but I guess he's not, so whatever. But he comes to Cain. He says, your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. Taking the life of a human being matters. And this doesn't seem like something that you should have to even say to anybody, right? Like This should be common sense. This should be common knowledge that we should know that to take another human life is a big deal. And that's what God says. In fact, so much so that he says, if an animal kills a person, God will hold that animal accountable. Isn't that strange? On the one hand, sure. On the other hand, it totally makes sense. And why is it that there's such a, uh, a premium placed on human life? Well, it goes back to why we're here. Verse 6, whoever sheds human blood by humans shall their blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made mankind. Again, the replay of Genesis 1. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. The purpose for which God always had created people is to reflect him into and to all creation. And even as far away as we may have distorted that image, people are still in, created in the image of God. And God says, because of that, when you do violence to another person, that person is my representative. They might be a terrible representative, but that's my representative. And so when you do violence to them, you're doing it to me. Does this sound familiar maybe from Matthew when Jesus says, as much as you do something good to even the least of these, you do it to me? There's representation happening here. And we try to distance that. And we try to pretend that there are people in this world that just don't matter. And God disagrees. We have all been created 
in the image of God. And so we represent him, either well or not, we do represent him. And the actions that we take towards one another are by extension actions we take towards God. Okay, that's, that's section one. Uh, in section section two and three, we're gonna, no, we're just going to take all this kind of together. I'll give you the points. I just want you to listen for anything repeated as we read through eight through 17 again. Just listen for what's repeated and see if this sounds a little odd to you. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you. And with your descendants after you, and with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, and the wild, all the wild animals, all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth, I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant I am making between me and you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds, and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the, will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. So God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant I have established between me and all life on the earth. Was there any repetition in that? Oh my goodness. <laughs> How many times can you use the word covenant, right? Seven, actually. How many times can you use the word earth? Seven, actually. <laughs> Clouds gets repeated quite a bit. Rainbow a few times. But there is something important going on here in this establishing of a covenant. What is a covenant? <laughs> it seems like maybe that would be important, right? And uh, the way, uh, there are a lot of different ways to think about covenant and the way that they show up throughout the Bible. This is, this is the first uh, time we hear the word covenant throughout the Bible, but it shows up a lot throughout. Most of the time, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, by the way, those are actually just other words for the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. Sometimes we say Testament, I don't know. Um, most of the time, in both of those, we're talking about the covenant that God makes with his people at Mount Sinai. And so, We'll get more into that on another day. <laughs> but the idea is, it is a, a bond, it is a relationship, and it is a relationship with a purpose. And so one of the things that you have going on is uh, you have a king who takes over another area, and he says, okay, you're now going to be my people, I'm going to be your king, here's the deal. And he goes through, and there's like an order to this thing. Here's the things that I've already done for you, and so here's what you're going to now do for me. And if you do these things, then you will be blessed, and if you don't, you will be cursed. And so here are the things, here are the ways that I will bless you if you do these things, and here are the ways that I will curse you if you do not do these things. That's the typical arrangement. And this is what we see God doing with the people, especially at Mount Sinai. We see this kind of a covenant going on. It's a little different here. 
Uh, we see God make a covenant with Abraham. We see him make it with, um, with all of Israel at Mount Sinai. We see it uh, even later with King David. And of course, then we see the new covenant in Jesus. And the ways in which Jesus fulfills all of these. But this one, this first one, what are the things that Noah has to do in order to be blessed? And what are the things that if he does them, then he will be cursed? I've had lots of pop quizzes this morning. Nothing. This is what's so weird about this one. This is kind of the outlier when it comes to all the covenants, that what Noah has to do in order to be blessed is nothing. God just comes to him and says, uh, chapter 9, verse 1, then God blessed Noah and his sons. There you go. The blessing comes first. And then when you get into the, the terms of the covenant, here's what it is. He keeps saying, okay, I'm going to establish my covenant. Here it comes. Verse 11, I establish my covenant with you. Here it is. Never again will all, will all life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. That's it. When you start, when you read past that, that's all the sign of the covenant. Everything that comes after that is, okay, and here's the sign. Here's the way that you know this, that you can trust this. Here's a way that uh, you know that I'm going to keep up my end of the deal. But there is no Noah end of the deal. That God has just said, this is what I'm going to do for you, period. And who is this covenant between? Is this between God and Noah? Yes, and (laughs) who else? God and Noah's sons? Yes, who else? All the animals, right? And so by the time you get to the end, uh, it says it's the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. And repeated, uh, this is the sign of the covenant I have established between me and all life on the earth. Isn't that something? And what is this promise that God is making? What is it that he is committing himself to? And we say, well, he's not, never, never going to destroy life, right? It's pretty specific about it, isn't he? That it's actually, um, he mentions the waters of a flood and a flood, like twice in there. Never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy, destroy the earth. Why be so specific? I think we miss why he's being so specific if we have forgotten to connect this back to Genesis 1. What God is saying here is we're not doing that hit the reset button again. From now on, I am committing to you that we will be continuing this project going forward. That there will be still natural disasters. 
There will still be times where you have you know, Sodom and Gomorrah that happens later, where you have whole cities destroyed. And we go, wait, is that a violation? of? No, it's not. God is not going back to the watery chaos of Genesis 1. He says, we're not doing that ever again. We're not going back to the beginning. From now on, we are moving forward. And I commit to you that that's what I'm going to do, is I'm going to continue to move this project forward all the way to the end. And it is going to seem like a pretty rocky road a lot of the way through. (laughs) But as rocky as it gets at the various times in Old Testament history, in New Testament history, in the history of the world, even since the New Testament was written, as rocky as it gets, we have this promise from God to all of life on earth that he is continuing this project and that he will see it through to the end. Um, what is the sign of this? <laughs> the sign, of course, is the rainbow. Um, there's good reason for that to be the sign, as a bow, as like bow and arrow kind of a thing that he hangs up. As some have pointed out, it's even pointed up. I'll let you think on that one for now. But the question then is, so what does this mean for us? Does this all still apply to us today? On the one hand, yeah, of course. And on the other hand, but... (laughs) Those of us who live this side of Jesus see everything uh, refracted through the way in which he fulfills all of it. When we look at uh, this commitment that God makes to all life on earth, what we see is, is nothing that is dependent on people getting things right because they're not gonna get it right. That's the whole point but he's still going to do something about it. When we saw at the end of chapter 8, I think, middle of chapter 8, somewhere in there, uh, God talks about how uh, every inclination of the human heart is still wicked all the time. Like That started at the beginning, before the flood, and it's still going on at the end of the flood. The flood did not fix that problem. And yet, God says, even though that's the case, we're going to see this uh, through and continue to move forward. Well, how does he do that? And this is why it can't depend on Noah. This is why it can't depend on us. This is why we are those who come every week and we have to pray the prayer of confession together as a people saying, there's not a one of us who can pull this off. God, if you're going to have this be the plan, you're going to have to be the one that does it. And so this is where we see that Jesus does it. It is only through Jesus that God can simultaneously rid the world of evil and not rid the world of us. This is the new covenant. There's also the uh, command given to Noah to fill the earth, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth. What does that look like for us today? 
Same thing as it meant for him? Maybe. And we certainly don't want to empty the earth. On the other hand, I don't know if you're aware of this, but did you know the global population has doubled in the last 50 years? We are nearing 8 billion people. We were less than 4 billion people in 1970, I think, 3, 74 is when we crossed that line. If you go back 50 years before that, we had doubled in that time as well. I think we've got that part down. We're, we're filling the earth like never before. But when Jesus talks about being fruitful, is that what he means? Let me ask you this. Is Jesus the ideal human? Yes. How many kids did Jesus have? Bingo. For those of you who weren't able to hear both of those answers, they're both right. On the one hand, you said zero. He had zero children. On the other hand, we are all God's children through Jesus. This is the point. When Jesus is talking about being fruitful in, uh, and bearing fruit in John 15, it's the same kind of thing as we talked about at the end of Matthew when he says, make disciples, right? Make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. We are still to be fruitful and to multiply. And there may be a biological component to that, but I think through Jesus, primarily what we are to be about is being fruitful and filling the earth with people much like in Genesis 1, the whole idea is that we are made in the image of God. We are to reflect him, right? Same is true for us now. But now we know that what it really looks like to reflect God in the world is to look like Jesus. And so what it means for us to be fruitful today is for us to be walking with Jesus in a way that we are looking more like him and where we are not only doing that on our own, but we're doing that in relationship with others in order to help other people to do the same. Introducing people to Jesus if they don't know him and helping them to walk closely with him and to look more like him all the time. That is why we're here. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made. Lord, we thank you for your amazing promises to us. Lord, we pray that you would help us uh, to have confidence in your promises, knowing that you are moving forward with your project and that you have invited us to be a part of that. God, we pray that you would help us to understand uh, the role that you have given to us as those who can only lead as those who follow you. 
but those uh, who can only rule as those who serve. Lord, we pray that you would continue to form us into those who reflect you well as you continue to conform us into the image of Christ. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.